All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You for uh, Your goodness to us as a church family, our families. Uh, What a wonderful week we have just finished of gratitude. Help us to continue in that mode uh, in the coming days and weeks throughout the year. We are so grateful that You have given us Your Word, that You have given us ancient promises that have been fulfilled and will be fulfilled by Jesus. We are so grateful for him. And now may we hear from your word uh, and may your spirit help us and illumine us as we unpack it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In the fall of 2012, uh, Superstorm Sandy you may remember some of you, devastated parts of New Jersey. Trees were toppled, cars demolished, houses flooded, debris was everywhere. And in the midst of all of that chaos, there was a certain man, a soccer coach it turned out, who as he was driving around noticed a busted Christmas tree among all the tons of chaotic trash. And after driving by this tree over a few days, he finally pulled over and pulled it from the trash heaps and he plopped it upright in a vacant field in the middle of the town. And to his amazement, uh, the locals there who were racked with grief and and loss and and worry about how they were going to make it going forward, they made this tree their own. They started bringing all sorts of ornaments, most of which were handmade. People started surrounding the tree with pieces of driftwood. Kids left toy trucks at its base. And then over time, the decorations became more personal with hand-scrawled notes of support being made as ornaments. One family wrote on a flaming red glass ornament, we believe, we have hope, We will recover. And I love the subtitle of this article that I read in a newspaper. Rescued tree lifts town's wrecked spirit. Jeremiah gives us a similar vision with a similar illustration. A symbol of life amid the land of Israel and Judah. He gives us and them hope that come not from the townspeople rallying together and doing their best to lift themselves up. And there's a place for that, friends. But the symbol in Jeremiah is not about the unbreakable human spirit as we hear and see in so many movies and read in books. You see, the people were too far fallen to pick themselves up. God had to intervene, and He does, as real hope, not artificial hope. By the way, the tree that was erected in the town was an artificial tree, because you were probably wondering, how did it last? But God offers real hope that emerges from human barrenness of the people. You see, heaven helps those not who help themselves, but who look 
for their help to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so we're going to look at just two basic themes today, a devastated forest and a righteous branch. Now that second one has to be broken down a little more. But first, the devastated forest. Jeremiah portrays a people who had the land of milk and honey and the promises of God in their possession. But they, like we, when we have God's blessings, they begin and began to let go. God said, I will be your God and I have made you my people. But they wandered away from Him by going their own ways. Exchanging reality with a capital R for nothingness. And Jeremiah, like Isaiah, make it so clear that we begin to become like what we worship. And so the people began to, in a sense, fade away. You see, sin is like that. It does that. It dries us up. It causes us to shrivel as human beings. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 5-6, and the way it sets up the background, the way it portrays the devastated forest. And, and think about our own lives. Think about our culture. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush or a brush in the wastelands. They will dwell in the parched lands of the desert in a sea or a land, rather, a salt land where no one lives. That's an apt description of what wandering from God does to us. And so the people of God were fractured vertically. They forsook him and they went after other gods. Jeremiah 10.3 describes it this way, a tree from the forest is cut down and, and they work it with an axe by the hands of the craftsmen. It is describing here the formation of an idol. They decorate it and they fasten it down so it's secure, but their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. And they cannot speak the people trust in what their hands have made instead of their maker. Now you see, the term clinging is one that is covenantal. God enters into relationship with his people. He clings to them. And they are to cling to him. We are to cling to him. One writer has said that the covenant that God had made with his people wasn't merely legal or contractual in which he, he set out terms that they were to follow, but it was intensely personal, alive with love, in which the relationship was primary. And so the people of God, like we so often do, they fell in love with lesser loves, and in so doing, they not only broke the terms of the covenant, not loving God and neighbor as they should, but they broke the heart of their covenanted Lord. And so Jeremiah is very candid that in their idolatry, they actually became spiritual adulterers. 
forsaking their one true love who loved them so dearly. And yet, friends, it's not just them. It is we who so easily forsake our Lord for lesser loves, right? What are those lesser loves? I think in our time and place, we, we don't, of course, generally worship you know, figurines that we carve out of wood. But we place a whole lot of hope uh, in science and technology. You know, now we're hearing about, uh, you know, new pills that are coming out that can reduce the risk of getting really sick, landing in the hospital, or dying from the next wave of uh, COVID, the Omicron variant, sounds like an alien, um, it will reduce the risk of, of dying from those things or from that variant by 89%. When I hear that kind of thing and I am talking to people, I say, thank God for the chemistry kids in high school. <laughs> you know, what, what brilliance human beings have, have devised and come up with. As I face my own health challenges, I'm always looking on the horizon. Uh, my doctors get used to <laughs> the way I throw a lot of questions at them. Um, and there are some promising therapies on the horizon. And so I have a tendency to place my trust in medical ingenuity. One of the reasons I'm trying to stay as healthy as long as I can is because I've learned from people that in a few years, things will advance in technology, and you have a better shot of, of making it, of getting well, of being healed. And so medicine, technology, and science, friends, these things are good, but we tend to look at them. We really do, and we say, this is where I will find life and hope. But they're idols that cannot ultimately speak to us or give us meaning or give us life. Or think of romance. Romance is a gift from God. Um, but it can become all-consuming. The romance we have or the romance we think we want down the road. And we exchange in that way our true love for lesser loves. But Israel was not simply fractured vertically. They were fractured horizontally. And this is a big concern about Jer or of Jeremiah. You see, the people of Israel, and, and they are excoriated for this, they didn't care for the poor as they should have. They excluded sojourners and widows and orphans. We are told that they were greedy for their own gain, and actually the leaders, often the religious leaders, uh, fostered and enabled their greed rather than spoke against it. And so in these horizontal problems that they had with people, and in this vertical brokenness that they displayed, instead of a beautiful, fruitful vineyard producing a harvest of righteousness, which they were called to be, they dried up. Again, we become like those things we worship. They should have been like a tree planted by the river but they became like tumbleweed that blows along a dry or a road in dry, hot winds. 
until Jeremiah 6, and he does this all throughout the book. It says, be warned, Jerusalem, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. Well, that's exactly what happened. In another portion, God says, bring the ax to the tree. Israel, in a sense, was cut down. The trees were brought down. And they were exiled from the land because they exiled God from their hearts. And so the barren land, the wasteland, began to demonstrate and illustrate the barren condition of their hearts. And you see, friends, again, this is not something that was simply an issue for them. It's an issue for us. I've mentioned our vertical problem, the way that we so often trust in lesser loves. But our greed is something that we all have to face as well. Now, I think that most of us don't want to count ourselves among the greedy. But in Scripture, greed's opposite, and its antidote is generosity. And so I ask you, and I'm asking myself, are we as generous with God's resources that we are meant to steward? Are we giving those away as much as we could and can? C.S. Lewis said this about our giving. He said, if our charities do not pinch or hamper us, I should say that our generosity is too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. That's a very convicting line. Or what we often say in our culture, we hear this, is yet, yeah, there should be generosity. The government should be more generous with other people's money. That's not what the Bible is talking about. It is talking about our generosity. And so we become like the rich young man who, who went to Jesus asking him to adjudicate between him and his brother as they were disputing their inheritance. And Jesus rebuked him with concern, with love. And he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures that will rust or that moths can access, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven and do that by giving to others by investing in the kingdom of God now this teaching of Jesus came home to me this morning <laughs> I had a a nice black wool sweater that I've worn twice bought it last year was going to wear it today although it's a little warm for that it turns out uh, and I put it on, and I looked in the mirror, and I thought, those moths, man, <laughs> a big hole right in the middle of the sweater. And I thought, Lord, do you always have to bring my illustrations to life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> always. <laughs> so that sweater is done with. You see, friends, we too are under, um, in a sense, the indictment that Jeremiah expresses with concern to the people of Israel. And so the world is fractured, and in many ways we are fractured. And the night before Thanksgiving here in Southern California, where we had those intense winds, 
illustrate what this passage is talking about. If you drove around or walked around the next day, you saw broken branches and fallen trees. And it seemed to Israel like the line of King David, the one through whom God would bless his people, it seemed that that line was utterly broken as the people were sent into exile. But now we come to the righteous branch. You see, exile doesn't have the last word. Hope did not die there in Babylon where Israel was sent. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord through Jeremiah. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. But he also actually says, for David. Why does he say that? Because this prophesies a time when God will carry out and fulfill fulfill His word to David. A time when God's people would return to the land and they would have a good and true and rightful king. You see, back in 2 Samuel, we're told that David wanted to build a house for God. But then God, in a way, graciously turns the tables and he says, David, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to make you a dynasty. What he was saying there is, I'm going to establish your royal line forever. But here's what happens in the history of Israel, and Jeremiah talks about this. Some of David's descendants were better than others. Some were horrible. Even the good ones failed. But so often, friends, the the royal family became more like a crime family. The descendants of David led the people not more and more toward God, but away from God. There was no one really who quite fit the bill. Fifty, a hundred years after the promise to Jeremiah was made. Until Jesus, David's greater son, was born as the son of Mary, as the son of God. You see, out of the desolation, a branch will emerge and this new life will sprout from the cut-off stump of David as we heard today or saw today on the wall as we heard that beautiful song, O Come Emmanuel. A branch will emerge from the stump. We are told that this king will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, how does this happen? In the coming of Christ, what we see is we celebrate not only the first advent of Jesus, but the second advent. And Jeremiah's prophecy deals in some ways with the second advent of Christ, when Jesus will come to straighten out what is fractured, to turn the wasteland of this life into a beautiful garden. You see, Jeremiah and and we are longing for justice. And yet we hear leaders, we hear political leaders saying, live your truth. And then we wonder why people are always having their tastes and values running into other people's tastes and values, right? 
So often your karma runs over my dogma, as it said. We know, though, that we need a true king. You see, crime has to be halted and dealt with. And, and the country has been anticipating verdicts just these past few weeks in very public trials. And inevitably, some people are happy with an outcome, while others are unhappy. And sometimes justice fails. At other times, you know, it comes through. But juries and justices don't see things perfectly, with perfect clarity. It can seem like the system is rigged, and, and we know that there are perfect imperfections in our justice system. But this says that the descendant of David will carry out perfect justice. He will rule fairly and rightly. He will promote perfect goodness. He will lift up the poor and put an end to greed an unfair exploitation. You see, friends, what, what Jeremiah is saying is that we all long for this kind of king, the true king and judge. Arthur Leff was a uh, well-known professor of law at Yale University. And in the late 1970s, he gave a famous lecture at Duke University to a very secular crowd. A lot of academics there. And this is what he said. If we are looking for an evaluation of culture and right and wrong, we must be looking for an evaluator. The, the evaluator must be the unjudged judge. In other words, not subject to the whims and the opinions of others. He goes on, we need the unruled legislator the premise maker who rests on no premises from others. And I love this, the uncreated creator of values. And then he said toward the end of the lecture, there, was, there is no one like unto the Lord, quoting the Psalms. You see, Jeremiah 33 is answering that longing the promise of the uncreated creator of values, the source of what is good and right and true, has come and will come again in the person of Jesus. Mary's son, David's son, the son of God. But it's not simply what he will do in the future. It is also what he has already done for us in his first advent. Notice the incredible name at the end of the passage. He is the Lord our righteousness. You see, like, like Israel, friends, we so often forsake the Lord and his covenant bond with us, but the Lord does not ultimately forsake us or leave us. He brings Israel back to the land in history but that is previewing something so much greater that he brings us to himself. He brings the nations to himself. He will bring us into the new heavens and the restored earth. And that is why this section of Jeremiah is so often called the book of consolation. But you see, before he comes to make everything right, in his first coming, he has come to make us right with God. 
You see, we long for a king who is also a priest who would offer up the perfect sacrifice of his own life, which Jeremiah also prophesied. And think about this issue here. You see, Jesus is our only righteousness. In Him alone can we stand right before our God. For we break covenant. And we break God's heart. But Paul says in Romans, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets like Jeremiah testify. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The promise of Jeremiah, the Lord our righteousness, has already come true in the first advent of Jesus. And this might be a concept that some of us have a hard time relating to, but but really we don't. You see, we're all trying to be right. We're trying to be justified. We're trying to be okay by being well put together, by having it all together. One millennial blogger named C.J. Green said, it can seem like the system that we are in is one in which we are always trying to uh, check off one big to-do list. Our whole existence gets defined to what we have to do and what we're not to do. And this is especially true for millennials. (laughs) The writer goes on to say, we should work hard but exude work-life balance. We should be incredibly attentive mothers, but not helicopter parents. We should engage in equal partnerships with our wives, but still maintain our masculinity. We should build our brands on social media, but live our lives authentically. We should be current, conversant, and opinionated about the breakneck news cycle, but somehow not let the reality affect our ability to do any of the above tasks. These are the pressures we're under. The writer continues, there's so much pressure to measure up, not only to God's standards, but to society's standards, our family standards, our own. And this is so true. Uh, When I was at the gym this week, I noticed the motto that was painted on the wall, be the best version of you. Ah, Sometimes that's just tiring. (laughs) I'm trying. We're all trying, but it's tiring. And we don't always meet our own standards, our our best vision of ourselves, let alone God's vision to live as His covenant people. We don't always measure up. And friends, this can be devastating. It can wear us down. But in Christ, Jeremiah is prophesying in Christ we do measure up, which is so liberating. I want you to hear. Jesus makes you righteous in God's sight. God approves of you, friends. He accepts you. 
He embraces you despite all of your weaknesses, despite all of the pressures you feel under. Though you can't stand before him apart from Jesus Christ, you can stand in Jesus Christ before God. And so I want to take you back to the title of that article that spoke about that tree Rescued tree lifts a town's wrecked spirit. Jeremiah says the righteous branch lifts the wrecked spirits of God's people. He has rescued you and you are righteous in him. And so we say, like those town people said, said, we believe, we have hope, we will recover. And this is not our hope in the human spirit. It is not about human resilience. It is about the branch that has come and will grow into a full tree, the branch that is coming again. The son of David was born as the son of Mary to make us right with God, to reconcile him. And on the last day, he will come again to make everything right. Our broken bodies, this broken world where there's so much injustice and pain, where we all long for things to be set right. He will come to restore the world He will rule the world in honesty and in fairness. And so I love the quote from theologian Fleming Rutledge. She has said, Advent begins where human potential ends. So look to Christ as your only hope who will heal this world and who heals you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the prophecy, the old story of Jeremiah has come to fruition. That where there was a devastated forest in exile, a branch emerged. And we're so grateful that that branch from the stump of the exiled people and the broken line of David, we thank you that that branch is Jesus, David's greater son, the son of Mary, your son, and our Savior. We pray, God, that we would see ourselves in the story of Israel, that that so often we turn away from you our true love for lesser loves, for the things that our hands have made. We look to the creation rather than to you, our creator, for significance and meaning and purpose. We think our hearts will be filled, but we are so often left like tumbleweed to drift along the road in the dry winds. God, forgive us when we let go of your promises and become like a wasteland, become like nothing. (coughs) But God, we thank you that you have sent Jesus 
and that someday He will come back to restore and to make everything right, that He will rule the land of this world with truth and fairness, with perfect equity and justice. Our culture is longing for this, but we can't find it because we're basing it on human perspective. And so we long for the day when you will come and complete this prophecy. But God, we thank you that you have sent your son in the first advent, that he is the Lord, our righteousness, that he makes us right with you, that we don't have to justify ourselves by trying to hold everything in balance and put everything together just right by living up to our expectations and everyone else's. God, we admit we're not always our best selves, but we are yours. And therefore, we are righteous before you in Jesus. We thank you that you approve of us, that you accept us, and and that you embrace us in your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.